becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you to make real. Passing those other songs. Glimmer, glimmer, of the ship being seen. You ready? Always. 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 Welcome back. Yeah. Let's go to where we feel comfortable. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, this is episode 30. Damn. Yeah. Look at us. I know. I, it feels like I was always thinking 50, episode 50 would be, kind of be a milestone, uh, but yeah. I'm, I'm feeling good about 30. It's just making me feel glad that we have uh, been diligent and disciplined in our consistency Yeah, um, that we set out to achieve at the beginning of the year. That was episode 12 that we kicked the beginning of the year off. So our 18th in 2020. Yeah. Damn. That's pretty cool. Awesome. Pretty awesome. It is. I still like doing it too. I know. <laughs> so cheers to that. Uh huh. Yeah. This, that is definitely something to cheers to for sure. <clears throat> well, it's been always fun doing it more on a weekly basis. Just, I feel like there's a little bit more continuity that we kind of are yeah. getting to. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if that changes once we get out of quarantine or not. But, um, cause we were doing two, one episode and then two hour episode and then splitting it into two. Right. But, which I like that format too, the, the, the longer conversation format, which I think we'll probably go back to at least part time or some of the yeah. time after this. But I agree. I've been enjoying the, the consistency of the weekly conversations. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel more up to date. Like sometimes with our other one, I have to go back and kind of catch up and yeah. remember the threads, you know? But. Right. Totally. Well, we've been kind of starting with a Corona update. I have a question for you around that that, that could kick us off. Well, I was just thinking about... <laughs> so last <laughs> week, we, we were thinking that maybe it would be the first time we'd do in person, and, and we evaluated that and decided it was best not to. And then we didn't even mm-hmm. talk about it this week. We're yeah. just rolling forward <clears throat> as if quarantine is still happening, which it clearly is still happening. Um, but I was kind of wondering, in terms of... of getting back to having in-person social interactions. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, <clears throat> if what the way that that might happen, if, if that might end up being by people deciding for themselves that it's time to do that. So if like you and I had decided, well, we're going to do it in person this week, which is yeah. <clears throat> arguably maybe, against local ordinance i'm not you know it's kind of hard to say because there's conflict between you know at the different levels of juris- of jurisdiction i guess mm-hmm. um but you know like elon musk this or elon do you say elon or elon i say elon but i've heard it pronounced both ways it's kind of like medici or medici yeah <laughs> um every time you send me there's that great clip from yeah uh silicon valley uh-huh and and I it always just makes me more confused about which way you like it to <laughs> totally. be said. Everybody has that same response to it. <laughs> um, but Elon Elon, uh, you know, reopened his factory against the orders of uh, the county. What is, do you remember the name of the county it's in? Uh, Alameda, I think it Alameda was. Alameda County, yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought, 
I wonder if that's how this happens. If, mm-hmm. if government officials there, it seems like maybe there's no way for them to safely say, okay, it's time to open up and avoid the, essentially the liability of that. Yeah. And so it's going to have to come from the bottom up rather from the, than from the top down. And it's going to be people saying, you know what? I've evaluated the risk. I've decided that for myself and my group, my family, my company, whatever, we're going mm-hmm. to move forward in this fashion. Well, I think it's just really hard because, you know, we don't, um, you know, when we first started out, this was, it was all about flattening the curve and not overwhelming the, the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I feel like that rhetoric has changed. And I think it's becoming more and more unclear what, what the, what the messaging is right now. And I think, I think that's hard for everyone to grasp is like, well, if we can have some clear messaging, mm-hmm. I think that would be really helpful. And, and, and I think that's the thing too, is every place is different too. Like North, North Dakota versus New York versus, you know, so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of nuance to that also. But you know, is it is it as a nation we're looking to, or are we waiting for a cure? Are we waiting for a vaccine? Are we waiting for you know? It's like, you know, right? I, th- I think the messaging is really hard, and that's the part that I was, I was thinking about this week was like the difference between a univariate and a multivariate analysis. You know, if you look at it from just you know, like the health officials are supposed to say the things that the health officials are saying, you know. And the economics people are supposed to be saying the things that economics are saying. Mm-hmm. And it's the job of policymakers to take all those things into consideration and, you know, and then to make policy around that. Mm-hmm. And it feels like there's like a lot too much univariate uh, decision making, you know, it's it, it just too, it, it's just, you can't just make it that simple. And so, I think it's just just really people are really making this really the messaging's just not clear. I think I mean on the national level it's definitely like all right we need to start getting back open, you know. So that that's kind of clear, but then the staying not opening up everything, well it's like okay, well what are we what are we waiting for, you know? Right. I mean it it is interesting that the the flatten the curve narrative has gone away. And maybe that's yeah. because we kind of did, mm-hmm. but like the numbers of deaths are falling. The numbers of in, uh, the infection rate is falling, mm-hmm. but we're not also uh, that, that doesn't seem to have made it into the narrative yet either. Like mm-hmm. we don't seem to be talking about that. So there does yeah. seem to be a sense of what, what are we waiting for? Yeah. Like what, what is the metric of success for what we're all doing right now? And I think that's hard because when you say the metrics of success, depending on where you fall on each side of the, those arguments, right? You know that sounds, you know, I think you then I hear the posturing or the narrative of, you know, you don't care about people, or on the other side, like, well, you don't care about business and the economy and what the effects that's going to have, you know. Right. And I think that's the hard thing too is like, the political posturing is also kind of frustrating. You know, it's it's like to even talk about opening might put you on a conservative side, mm-hmm. 
but not wanting to open and continue the shelter in place puts you maybe on a liberal side or a compassionate side. Yeah. 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 Well then there's that, there's, then there's that, right. You know, it's like, you don't care about people, you know, it's like all you care about money and it's just, it's so one dimensional in how we're thinking about these things. Well, it has me thinking that, you know, with social media, we tend to think about the United States as one entity and yeah. the United States is the, the plan that the United States has or the leadership of the United States for its people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were established as a republic of states and the mm-hmm. states have always had more power than the federal government in terms yeah. of uh, lawmaking in their state. Yeah. And we seem to kind of have forgotten that. And, and it does seem to me like that is really important right now. And the best strategy is to delegate as much of the decision-making as we can to the states. Because Mm -hmm. even you talk about flattening the curve to not overwhelm the healthcare system. Well, okay, we all did that together. But we were doing it based upon what was happening in New York. Mm -hmm. Whereas the the majority of the rest of the country now has, the healthcare system doesn't have enough people. It's like it's shutting down because you've got hospitals and mm. sitting at 30% capacity and they're furloughing and firing doctors and it's, it's tearing the health healthcare system apart. Yeah. Um, so that's clearly not the right strategy because the curb never even got close to overwhelming those systems. Yeah. Um, so looking at it as one curve for the United States seems, um, like it's causing some misleading analysis of what we should be doing at a localized level because we're a giant piece of land. <laughs> yeah, you know the, the what makes sense in New York absolutely does not make sense, you know, like out in Marfa, Texas. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean that that's yeah that just makes that. Makes, I mean, I, I understand at the very beginning because there was so much we didn't know, mm-hmm. and and I mean we still have a lot that we don't know, and I think that's that's still difficult, but. But I think that's the hard thing too, because I mean, there is a reality: is as we start opening back up, there will be more corona uh, infections, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's that's kind of like that's that's a given, no matter at what point, whenever you do this, you know. And so I felt like the flattening curve thing made sense in that. Okay, we just don't want to overwhelm our health centers. It sounds like we're actually at a surplus of ventilators now. I've heard I've heard that too. But again, I don't. I, I, that might be. I don't want to misspeak on anything. So um. there's so there's. Well, you were talking. <clears throat> you were telling me earlier about this this uh, sort of dipping your toes into the study of information theory. Oh yeah, yeah. And and how it's really hard to understand how much noise has been introduced into a signal stream in order to mm-hmm. decode the core signal or the, the the originating signal. Yeah. And and there's so much information going around. So you know you may hear there's a surplus of ventilators. And then I'm also hearing that, you know, there seems to be a lot of cases where a ventilator is actually the wrong medical treatment and is making it worse for people. Yeah. So, you know, what is signal and what is noise and parsing that has Mm. been really, really difficult. And, and when you consider that the originating source or the original source or sort of like the true signal is already based on so many unknowns, Mm-hmm. That it's hard to trust even it, even if you can find it, it's yeah. easy to start feeling really lost and actually think, you know what, I'm just staying home. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like this is the best strategy because what, you know, I don't know what else to do. It's, it's crazy out uh-huh. there. Yeah. But I think that the, the thing that's going to, I feel like there's a good analogy in sort of like the first person to try something scary in a group sort of breaks the ice for the rest, you know, so mm-hmm. like cliff jumping, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, bunch of people you want everybody kind of wants to do it but it's scary and you know fun, somebody finally goes and just jumps off and they're fine and they're exhilarated and their drilling is pumping and you're like all right that's what i needed i'm going to do it mm-hmm. and it seems like to to change the narrative of what we're doing with the unknown so what we're doing with the unknown right now is hiding from it mm-hmm. in literally in our houses physically mm-hmm. and to change that is going to take I, I had always or i was thinking about it from the perspective of getting a top-down message that it's okay now. Yeah. But I'm wondering if that's not how it's actually going to happen. It it might be so that it's more about people starting to say, you know what, I think it's time to change my sort of risk management profile and make some changes. And yeah. I, I thought Elon Musk was a first step in that direction, even against... Um, you know, orders that could really negatively impact his company. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that too is in that situation. California, California in general, had already said it was okay, and there were some there were some odd things too with that in general. And uh, I think, there, anyways, but it had to do with that specific county, and there's some particulars in there that that made it. It wasn't just like. It was it was something that really particular to that county, and then also specifically to Tesla, hmm. and and that's why uh, he was just sort of like, no, you guys can't keep screwing around with me like this. Like, like I'm with I'm within my uh, like I'm being safe. I've got all my safety protocols in place. Right. You know, nobody's coming to work that doesn't want to come. Right. You know. So I mean, it was like, yeah. So that, that I think that's yeah. It's just so. It's 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 like we kind of stand on a on a on a knife's edge, you know, hmm. because I, and I think everybody's super concerned. You know, we feel the pressure of needing to step into opening, and then also we feel the pressure of what if this gets worse, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's I think that's the the pressure that everyone's feeling. Yeah. And it really does depend on who you talk to about it. I mean, I can yeah. feel two different ways about it over the course of a day, just depending on who I'm talking <laughs> to, you know? Uh-huh. So. Yeah, because I was listening to uh, uh, Brett Weinstein and Heather Hying, uh, both biologists, and they were, they were kind of talking it from an evolutionary point of view as far as, you know, in the long run, you know, if we stay at home for like sort of like almost an indefinite period of time. I mean, they weren't saying that, but, but for that, we would just be able to isolate this and we wouldn't give it the ability to mutate and change, you know, but that's in a very, it's a very extreme uh, perspective, but they're also thinking of it like from, you know, you know, 50 to a thousand years. And that that sort of time frame. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, isolate for 50 years. (laughs) No, no, maybe not for 50, but no, not isolate for 50 years. But if we were to isolate this 
now, and it took us a year or two years, even though it'd be devastating to our economy and our livelihoods and everything else, that our kids' kids, that, that we could ad- eradicate this completely. You know, right, It's right. a little bit of a pipe dream, and I, and I don't think they were advocating for that, but they were just kind of speaking on that level. Yeah. Yeah, their commentary has been really interesting and good. Yeah. I've appreciated mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah, they've I been... I feel like it... No, good. No, just, I was just going to say that for those who aren't familiar with their podcast, Brett Weinstein's podcast is called Dark Horse, and he and his wife are both evolutionary biologists and have been doing a, a corona update sort of podcast episode, I don't know, maybe once a week, maybe more. Um, yeah, probably but, like every other day or every day almost now. Oh, yeah, it's wow. crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. been good. Well, I think it's a good balance. I mean, whenever I think of like, you know, opening the economy up, uh, it's like trying to find like good, uh, you know, and going back to work and getting things back to somewhat semblance of normalcy. You know, it's like trying to find people that are speaking that in an intelligently way. And also people are like kind of talking more about sheltering in place for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. And giving good and valid reasons for for both sides of that yeah. argument, you know. Yeah. Man, I, I just the amount of the amount of information that our leaders are having to take in and consider mm. is. I, I I don't know. I'm just trying to give some. Uh, maybe some props like mm-hmm. that is not an easy position to be in. Like you and I, I think <clears throat> the majority of us have the ability to just be like, you know what? This is too much. It's like too much to consider. I'm just going to shelter in place and do the thing mm-hmm. and, you know, go drink a glass of wine and watch a movie. But yeah. for the people who are responsible for writing policy for this and stand to be blamed, but for the outcome of that mm-hmm. and are really having to consider all of these things, that's a, that's a giant task. Well, I mean, even um, um, uh, for me on a small level, like I spent the last two weeks, you know, uh, you know, just a little bit throughout the days is like mapping out how we're going to make it through this as a company too. Right. And, and there's some real realities that we face. Like if, if this, if this goes further or if an outbreak happens, if, but if we don't, there's the, both those scenarios you know, is not good, you know, not going back to work. That leaves me in in a really bad scenario. It's, you know, in some future, but it's like, but then I also, a a bigger outbreak also puts me in a different scenario. Right. So either one of those is not good. So how do I, you know, how do I move forward and plan so that I can be around or Medici can still be around in a year or two? (laughs) Well, it's like, yeah, you have to plan, you have to plan for those things to not happen, but it seems like you also have to plan for them to happen. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're definitely done. Definitely yeah. sunk. And either way, there's risk involved, right? And, the, and and so it's not just as easy as like, oh, we just shelter in place forever until there's a vaccine, and then like, you know, how effective is the vaccine? You mm-hmm. know, there, there's all those questions too, because you know, uh, you know, I, I forget what is it the the flu vaccine is only twenty percent effective or forty percent or something like that. It's not enough effective to where I've ever been interested in getting it. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe I'll have to put that in the show notes as far as like what that actual number is on the flu vaccine. But it, that's it. so it's like, so that's not really going to solve all of our problems. And I think that's the, no, it's not. 
it's not going to solve our problems, but it might be the, what is it? The, the sort of security theater that we need to tweak our risk, our risk settings, Mm -hmm. you know, which is maybe valid enough. Yeah. I mean, we are, as we've sort of been discussing at length over the last several episodes and in outside the podcast, I mean, we, we are, we are creatures driven by narrative above mm. all else. And so if the narrative is we have a, a vaccine, then that changes things. Yeah. And how effective that is, is a little bit less important than the word vaccine, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, saying it that way, maybe paints us in a bad light or, or makes us seem sort of dumb. And I don't, I don't look at it that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think we are under the, in, in the, always in the grips of a narrative. And I think what we're in the grips of right now is surely a narrative mm-hmm. more than it is a virus. Yeah. And, and it, and it can't be an, uh, any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, we are, we're forming a narrative around incomplete information. Mm-hmm to help us move forward. And yeah, right. I mean, I think it has something to do with the fact that we are creatures that can project ourselves into the future and evaluate the future. And in order mm. to do that, you have to tell a story about what that future is going to be. Mm-hmm. You can't guarantee it, that it will be any way whatsoever, but we are so, Im- we are necessarily embedded in narrative because we understand that there is the future because we yeah. discovered the future evolutionarily. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Like how, like that is, that has kind of like baffled me too. Like as far as how important and how uh, impactful the narrative that we believe shapes our reality. <clears throat> you know, I think that's like, that's, it's just such a powerful tool, you know, that we have and for good and for bad, you know, it's like personally and also as a society, you know, it's like if we, if we're not constantly reframing and reevaluating the narrative that we have as a country, as a state, as a, you know, city or individual, mm-hmm. it's like that narrative has a way of being corrupted. Yeah. You know, uh, cause information is changing constantly. And this is not just during the, during the time of Corona either. This is like, which I think these types of situations kind of show and reveal that aspect that is always true. Um, but whenever we're, when we're not in times of crisis or suffering, we're least likely to evaluate the narratives that we're uh, a part of or believing. You know, it's like it's it's only times when our, those narratives are challenged that we actually begin to evaluate them. Hmm. It seems like, yeah, that does seem true. I mean, if 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 narrative, as I'm sort of thinking about it in the moment, is is laying out what you want the future to be, which is a story. Uh It can't be anything else because the future is not controllable Mm -hmm. completely um, or at all, really. Mm -hmm. 
And then so you start moving into the future and you, you start moving in parallel with this narrative and then the future diverges from the narrative. Well, that create, mm-hmm. that creates a challenge. And sometimes that's not much of a challenge. It's just like, well, I, I was looking forward to having bacon in the morning, but forgot we were out of bacon and now my narrative <laughs> has changed, you know? So it's like, whatever, I'm disappointed, but it does not, it's not like a challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in other times it is, uh, there's like a, an, an axiomatic part of the narrative, which is that, you know, uh, I, I, I said vows and got married and that will be true for the rest mm. of my narrative. Mm. And then suddenly that changes mm. and it, and it, and it is a divergence from reality. The narrative and the reality diverge so far and you, mm. you are sort of living straddled, with one foot in your narrative and one foot in reality. Mm. And normally those are the, that's sort of two feet in reality, as long mm-hmm. as the two don't diverge too far. But if they diverge too far, they completely split and it can tear you in half. Wow. And so you have great imagery. You have to. Yeah. I mean, trying to bring that back to just like reevaluate your narrative as you go forward mm-hmm. to say what's actually unfolding in what, what was the future, which is now the present, what is actually unfolding and what was the story I was telling myself about it and how do I reconcile those two things and edit the narrative and inform a new narrative. It's like every step of the way forward. Yeah. Well, it makes sense too. And like even you kind of were, you were kind of touching on this too, is like we're also evaluating the past, our history and interpreting the history and forming right. a narrative that supports our future also. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something that we're con- constantly doing is reevaluating our past and our past as a species or as a country or whatever it might be. Yeah. And that also informs our present and future also. Well, I wonder if there's an aspect of it too, which is that, you know, evaluating the past in some way allows you to project more accurately and further mm-hmm. into the future. Because the more I understand about the way things go and have gone, the better I am at writing a successful story moving forward. And as mm-hmm. we have moved through, you know, m- millennia of evolution, um, well, in just over the past you know, several thousand years have we gotten good at documenting our stories. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if the fact that we are able to, especially now, uh, look in so much detail at the past, we are able to project much further into the future. Mm -hmm. And if there might be some danger that comes from that unexpectedly, which is, that there could be a, a very great dissolution of reality and narrative because it yeah. reaches so far in both directions. Well, and again, this is a very recent. I mean, really, since probably the eighteen hundreds and the Enlightenment. You know, it's like this is this is a really recent tool. I mean, it can go back to all. I think it's Thucydides could be argued as like Thucydides. I think he was like um, uh, right around the like turn of the. Uh, what do you call it whenever it goes from zero to <laughs> turn of the BCEs to the BCs or mm-hmm. whatever? 
uh, he, he's kind of known as like the father of history. Like that's whenever history started kind of entering in that we, but that we understand history today. But even then it really wasn't, you know, the 1800s with the enlightenment, I think it really took off history as we understand it today. Yeah. Um, so, so I think we're even somewhat still inexperienced with, with that sort of narrative. Uh, and also like, I guess that's the part too, is like whenever we take only one aspect of that story of that narrative of our past and amplify it over others, you know, hmm. um, I think that's, that's also a problem we have in projecting into the future. Hmm. Purposefully yep. discounting parts of the past narrative and mm-hmm. cherry picking a part that helps us tell the story we want moving forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, identity politics and stuff like that. You, you pick out one aspect and project that over all of history and then you push that into the future, you know, uh, or even like patriotism to some, to some, you know, to another degree is like, look how great we are and then project that into the future. But really it's this mixed bag of really amazing things and really horrible things. And it's like this, right. this relationship between, you know, our, our sins and our, <laughs> and our, uh, uh, accomplishments, if you will. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. That have kind of brought us into this current place. Hmm. Yeah, taking that holistic picture of the good and the bad together is a, a much more difficult task than it seems like on the surface, especially for mm-hmm. society at large. Mm-hmm. Especially if we want to look at it just from our own point of view, like you know, if, you know, it's like being able to put yourself outside your your own experience of history and truth, you know, hmm. and to see that from other people's perspectives too. Right, I think also helps with that having a better formulating that that future narrative a lot more clearly. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's the. Yeah, it's just it's just because I, I mean I, I do see the complexities of it because it's really hard to. There's just so many things that have happened in our past. If you just take you know the United States, you know it's like you have you know our founding fathers, you have slavery, you have these presidents that you know George Washington. Uh, Adams and Jefferson that, you know, at any one point, this, this, this nation would not exist, you know? Um, but then you have these atrocities of, you know, you know, uh, Native Americans, you know, as well as, you know, I mean, there's a lot of atrocities on both sides, but like, you definitely see that, you know, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, or Nazi Germany, it's like, there's all these things that have happened that are really Well, with America specifically, there does seem to be there has been an effort over the last 20 or so years to rewrite the narrative that we were handed. And it Mm. seems like, you know, part of that we were saying earlier is good. Like we need to Mm -hmm. adjust the narrative based upon what reality is. And we were talking about that in a few for future looking sense, but there is also, as you were saying, a a part of the past narrative that we, we can, 
we can sort of amplify and diminish certain parts of it in order to mm-hmm. get a narrative we think s- serves us well moving forward. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there is a need to go back and rewrite, but there's a danger in the rewriting because you can do the same thing just in the opposite way opposite direction. to yeah. say, well, this this part, this part of it got suppressed and this part got amplified and we need to, um, we need to correct that, but we need to overcorrect it in order mm-hmm. to compensate for the damage that we see that it did. Yeah. And then not recognize that the overcompensation is just going to cause its own damage too. Mm-hmm. So to be able to look back and say, we got this wrong, we need to tweak it back into balance is the is it's like I think about um so we're sitting at dinner the other night and uh, the kids are arguing about something and just like the the most simplest of kid interactions happens which is they're in an argument about something and I say you know hey it seems like you really did something wrong here I think that you should apologize and then they apologize, and the other one says, uh, "Yeah, but you did the same thing, essentially." Mm. Like, it, and it becomes this war of, "I did this because you did this, and I, I did this because you did this, and you did this," and, and it's like the 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 strategy of of repentance and forgiveness is, I'm going to repent to you. And make that my whole story, even mm-hmm. though there were things that you did too. Yeah. And I'm not going to hold those over you right now. Mm-hmm. And then the other person says, I'm going to forgive you, even though you did something to me. Yeah. And then that's reciprocated on either side. That is the, the only way it gets de-escalated. Mm-hmm. But, if, but if there's this fight in the rewriting process of a narrative, either in the past or the future, where we need to kind of give each inequity its time to be unequal mm-hmm. then the damage just continues to persist down the line it almost seems like the the sins of the father passed down to the next generation mm-hmm. yeah i think your kid example is really <laughs> really good <laughs> uh, well and it's I, I just thought i was sitting there thinking you know it's going to take a lot more time until they can have this interaction successfully because they're children and mm-hmm. they've got to grow up. And when they grow up, then they'll be able to do this more successfully because they will have gained self-awareness and awareness of the other person enough and the ability to let go, the ability to repent and forgive. And I think we were talking about that idea with Allison last time she was on, on, the, on the pod, which was you know pre-corona. <laughs> but that we that we teach our kids not sort of what forgiveness and repentance are. We teach them sort of a play that we require them to act out every time this thing happens, mm-hmm. and that we hope at some point the the meaning of that will sort of arise out of it organically or spontaneously, yeah. even. And it does, and I think it does, but it requires growing up and it seems like we kind of there's certain areas of uh of dealing with our narrative where we need to grow up mm. and and maybe for now we just have to act it out 
yeah, and, and move through it. But there does need, seem to be a, 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 a maturing that is needed. Sounds so difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're experiencing that right now, right? Yeah. It's, it's so difficult. Yeah. I mean, our society is, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of crumbling and, mm-hmm. and tearing itself apart over these little spats over at the dinner table about, <clears throat> yeah. you know, who spit first or <laughs> who, you know, <laughs> who used the pink marker last. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, we need a, a more mature in, in, nuanced way to deal with each other. You know, I'm just thinking about like when I say that I'm all of that, I'm thinking about Twitter. I'm thinking about sort of social justice. I'm thinking about what do we do with how divisive this Corona thing has been and how, Hmm. you know, wearing a mask or sheltering in place has started to become a symbol of political ideology, if not the more benign symbol of just fear Mm -hmm. and not wearing it and and going out is starting to be aligned with some other political ideology and, Mm -hmm. and uh, not fear, but the willingness to actively kill people with your presence. Mm -hmm. And that seems so dangerous because yeah. because it is this dinner table sort of spat situation when we need to be having grown up adult conversations about risk mm-hmm. we need to be having grown up adult conversations about the trade-offs of policy making yeah no that's a good point yeah there's always trade-offs in any policy that you have like it, even in the most noble sounding one you know it's like uh, like for, I would say, the most noble sounding. Well, depending on what side, what not what side, uh, what 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 uh, issue you emphasize the most. Like if it's you know going back to going back to work and getting businesses up, it's like you know there's this economy and what the impact on families and uh, food 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 supply to chain and stuff like that, or like sheltering in place and protecting those who are weak and vulnerable mm-hmm. from this spreading. You know, it's like it's 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 definitely like that sort of like oh you want to kill people oh you want to kill businesses you know it's like and then nobody eats you know <laughs> right <laughs> and all these people die you know it's, well i just wonder what this is exposing exposing because the for everything to be polarized between either you want to save people or you want to kill people yeah <laughs> well how could you we weren't applying that sort of uh, um, what's the word continuum to anybody before Corona? Yeah, there was plenty of risk of dying for all of us, but we never evaluated anybody's ideas or desires or political idea or political associations as being about killing or saving people. Yeah, and suddenly that seems to be everything. <sighs> Yeah, it's it's you know I don't know why this comes to mind, but uh, uh, if you if you guys if you guys want to, you should like uh, it's it's interesting to look at. So Bill Maher and Nancy Pelosi. So Bill Maher interviews Nancy Pelosi, 
and watching that interview and then watching, as we mentioned on another episode, Bill Maher interviewing um, Dan Crenshaw, who's a Republican, you know, it's like, it's, it was just interesting to see the tone that Bill Maher took with both, with both sides. You know, it's like, it's like with, with Nancy Pelosi, who he agrees with more, you know, he, he didn't really like go after the, go after some questions I thought he should go after, but there's a lot of bill, uh, eye rolling on Bill Maher's, <laughs> on Bill Maher's side, but it's like, but then Bill Maher would, would go after Dan Crenshaw but it was interesting. Like I almost felt there was a more of a respect between Dan and Bill, even though they disagreed. There was a certain amount of respect in their sparring, where like he didn't really have that same energy with Nancy Pelosi, which was yeah. really, uh, which was really interesting. And I think I think Bill Maher's a, a a pretty uh, a pretty good voice for the left. You know, for the most part, I think he he kind of does. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a comedian, but I think he has some very good, I think, political commentary on, on that side. Yeah. It's interesting. So I was just thinking, you know, there, it, there does seem to be mature adult voices sort of in the room. Um, yeah. They seem to mostly be outside of politics. Yeah, totally. And, and it's interesting that uh, Dan Crenshaw has a podcast Mm-hmm. I've never listened to it. I'd like to. I haven't either. Um, yeah. But that seems really interesting and, and rare. And I wonder what it would be like, because I sort of conceptualize government as, you know, all these nameless, faceless people yeah. in D.C. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know. You know there's a lot of accu- accusations flying around right now about the yeah. inadequacy of our leadership and how they failed us so much. And mm-hmm. I think there's a massive signal versus noise problem with that, those statements. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't have a feel for how many quote unquote adults are in the room mm-hmm. within the walls of our government. Yeah. You know, because. I don't hear many, you know, you don't really get access to what they're saying. Yeah. And it's I, almost everyone, everyone should be required to have like a 30 minute podcast every day as our, as our political leaders, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> uh, that's I think a, that would, I think that'd be very effective. I mean, you know, it's like, cause then you, you could just go and like, listen and like, Oh, you're really saying nothing all the time. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be interesting, but then you would never have, you would never have capacity to even go listen to all of it. Well, I think then you could be like, you know, like, oh, I'm interested in Nancy Pelosi. So I go to her, you know, it's like, I maybe right. go and check out a few of her things. And, and then our, uh, you know, Dan Crenshaw or what was his name? Mitch McConnell, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you can maybe, cause like now it's like you depend on these news agencies and these sound bites and like, you know, you know, just giving an example of this, of this week, you know, uh, Attorney General Barr was, you know, quoted on NBC as saying something that was incomplete, and it really made him to oh, look right. like an ass. And uh, and NBC later had to make a retraction about it because they did take him way out. Of, I mean, it wasn't even like a little bit out of context. It was like way out of context. Right. And it's like, how do we feel about Attorney Jar, Jar, uh, Attorney General Barr? It, it, it's insignificant. It's just it's more about the. Um, uh, what happened in this specific situation, and you know, so we're relying on these on these sources to give us 
or semi complete information or at least semi accurate information and then that's that's the part where noise comes in is that we start trying to either politicize or you know make another side look a certain way you know hmm. and i think that's you know and then i that happens on both sides of the aisle so it's not like you know one's you know better than the other in this area yeah this is a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> So it's probably too far back for me to go find the reference. Um, but there was, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to botch it all. I don't remember the news agency. I think it was the New York Times, a reporter um, tweeted out a quote from Trump saying that he feels like governors should be grateful uh, or, or be thankful or something like that. Mm. And and then you go look at the actual quote in he says something, he does say those words, but then he goes on to say, and like, and I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the task force, the scientific community, like all these other things, like, like basically there is good being done here and like light needs to be brought to that, which I thought yeah. was a really good statement, but to just sort of take the one sentence and try to paint Trump because it fit with his personality yeah, so totally, well. Yeah. It was so believable <laughs> to think that uh-huh. Trump's just going to say, everybody should be thankful for me, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but it's, 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 um, it's unethical because, so you were talking to me about information theory earlier and the idea that, so if you encode some information, which is ultimately mm-hmm. ends up in zeros and ones in computing land, and then you transmit. So, so let's just take a sentence, for example, <clears throat> You know, sentence is made up of words. Those words are made up of characters. Um, those characters are described in bytes, which are made up of bits, which go down to zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. So I encode the sentence into zeros and ones, and then I want to send it to you. That has to be transmitted over a wire, and there is a noise ratio in the wire, which means mm-hmm. that some of those zeros are going to turn to one, and some of those ones are going to turn to zero. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a packet is lost altogether. Um, and so the signal is received on the other side. Well, how do you, how do you upconvert that back to the sentence, which you had intended to send me? Mm. And there's in computer programming, there's a lot of, of different ways to handle that. The, the most sort of simple idea is, well, write it down three times <laughs> so that you can compare the three versions <clears throat> and, and, and figure out what, the the original uh, thing was most likely to be. Hmm. But if you introduce malevolent intentional corruption into that process, Hmm. now you're dealing with a whole different situation. And that that seems to be what is happening with a lot of the signal-to-noise ratio that we're having in media and online right now Hmm. is there is intentional conscious removal or of context yeah. And it, it seems to me like of everything that is changing so rapidly in our culture right now, which it does seem like we are turbocharged, like Corona, even before Corona, we were already, yeah. already turbocharged in, in terms of like the rate yeah. of change. Um, and now it's happening even faster in some ways, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, I kind of feel like the media has just got to, it's got to go. Yeah. Like we're looking to these sources to tell us the truth and they're not. Yeah. They got to go. 
Like there of the adults in the room that I sort of mentioned, none of them are in media. Mm -hmm. You know, there might be a few names here and there, but you know, who who do you go to if you want to know what the truth is about something? Yeah. Or at least a, a reliable source that's going to give you a, a rundown of how this information is interacting in the world, you know, like, so like, I mean, I I still will look at CNN, uh, Fox, uh, MSNBC, CNBC, NBC, you know, it's like, I'll still, I use those as sources, but it's more of like, they're more, that's, I, I see those more of trying to understand the common narrative that's being promoted on a, on a, uh, right. On a commercial level or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I go to certain sources that break that down in their, in, and, and kind of an analyzing these different sources, you know, and, and there's conservative and liberal, you know, people on both sides that, that do that and kind of have their own bias, you know, which is fine, but, but they're more interested in, you know, I, I feel like they have a, a more intention towards, getting to the source code, you know, the source message as much as possible and weeding through a lot of the noise that's being created. Um, and I think a lot of the noise does come from more of the univariate analysis, looking at one or two variables rather than the multivariate. Yeah, well, that makes sense because if you're, if you're looking at something from a univariate perspective, you, you have to necessarily disclude a large amount of information and then whatever doesn't sort of jive in your final stream, mm-hmm. you've got to coerce into it by changing it. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, that's the thing that I think that having, I think having a, I have a real hard time with that right now. Like uh, you and I kind of went on a deep dive this weekend on a few things and like just we're just asking the questions like what does this information mean mm-hmm. and it was just amazing how much trouble you and I had in just trying to understand like what this information means right or how did we arrive at this information right and well I thought it was interesting I I haven't really looked into it too much yet because I just saw it sort of later on this evening but that I guess Trump is asking the CDC to change their um, calculation rules for how they determine a COVID death, hmm. which I thought was really interesting. And the sort of headline and brief just skimming the article that I saw was sort of making it like, oh, okay, yeah, easy fix. We'll lower the, we'll lower oh, the numbers just by yeah, changing yeah. the formula. Mm-hmm. But there is clearly a problem with how we're reporting Corona deaths Mm -hmm. and that should be, that should be addressed. Um, but this is the hard thing is is Trump, you know, it's like, he shouldn't be the one mentioning this. It's like, it becomes like uncredible, whatever he even says anything like that. I wonder if he's aware of that. Like, I wonder what would it be like if Trump was aware, uh, aware of himself enough to where he's, he could like have that thought and then be like, I shouldn't say this out loud. Yeah. I should like have my right hand guy, go talk to a guy, talk to a guy, you know, (laughs) but then maybe that would just become a whole nother conspiracy theory and impeachment inquiry. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, probably so. Well, there definitely needs to be more information on that. I think that's something that you and I were really 
frustrated with and couldn't understand was like how how these are being reported. And I'm super curious about that. I, not even just for Corona, but even like. Okay, so you know where the numbers we found were being compared with pneumonia and flu. Mm-hmm. Well, how are pneumonia and flu reported? Like, is there yeah. a centralized system? Like, does every doctor have access to a website that they log into and then mm-hmm. and report on causes of death? Like, how do we get these numbers? Are yeah. they hard numbers? Are they like every every single one is reported, or are they modeled numbers based upon mm-hmm. what we understand? you know, extrapolating what we understand out into the, into the larger population. Yeah. And, and, and then you also have to ask, like, if you and I are just dorks and we're the only ones that want to know that information. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so either, but like it, it just, just so you guys have a little bit of reference, Matt and I were on the CDC. There's a, uh, uh, there's a, uh, spreadsheet that you can go into and look at all the different like pneumonia, Corona, and uh, influenza, and you can look at it by state, um, United States, by sex, um, mm-hmm. and and it kind of breaks it all down. It's it's up to I think yeah, May six is the date. It's, yeah, it, it breaks it by state, sex, and age group. Mm-hmm. Oh, age group, yeah, which is really informative, right? So yeah. you can you can kind of you can download the thing as a CSV and you know pull it into numbers or Excel and start running some filters on it to try to get an idea of, of what you're looking at. But I think the, the most interesting thing to me about that was the separation because they separate uh, COVID-19 only deaths, which I don't understand exactly what that means, but, but I, yeah. I did appreciate the separation from COVID-19 only, pneumonia only, pneumonia and COVID, pneumonia or COVID and influenza, and then all three. Yeah. Um, and looking at the numbers separated out like that, you st- you start to see that the narrative is based on not knowing those separations. Once you see yeah. the separations, mm-hmm. the narrative starts to make a little bit less sense. Well, it's, it's not only the separations, but it's also the age bracket, and it and it's hard too because I know a lot of people are like, "Well, don't you care about you know older people or something like that?" But totally. But there's, a, I mean, again, we're just talking about data right now. It's like what we do with that data is a different thing, you right, know. But right. like, um, and, I, and I would like, I, I would hope we could, we could be able to talk about that in two different type of discussions, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's hard enough to get to an accurate understanding of the data. Yeah, but if we could, you know. Mm-hmm. It, if we could say, hey, let's spend time getting to an accurate understanding of, of the data, and mm-hmm. then let's talk about what it means and what we should do about it. Yeah. But I'm not sure that that's a possible, I'm not sure that's a possibility. I mean, because mm-hmm. as we sort of described earlier, let's see, we're, we're constantly in the midst of this narrative and ba- battling the narrative versus reality and having to do the necessary tweaking um, and, and dealing with the trauma of the fallout of a, a catastrophic divergence mm-hmm. uh, which is what we're in right now. I mean, we mm-hmm. are in the the fallout of a catastrophic divergence of our narrative and our reality. Yeah. And it happened what? March 13th or what was it? 23rd? Some yeah, somewhere in mid-March, yeah. Who knows? It was 5 years ago as, far, as far as I'm concerned. Was my was my Yes, uh, right, right. <laughs> was the one thing that really like once they canceled that I was like, "Oh." You know what's <laughs> funny is we were moving into uh you know, I'm not a big, uh, well, should we sh- I should go back and listen to the episode. We talked about it, just like 2020 goals and stuff. And I was, oh. I had, I'm not a big um, 
New Year's resolution person, but I was feeling good, man, about 2020. I had uh-huh. even remembered I like sat down on my porch and wrote about it for a little while and like sent out an Instagram story that was like, I'm feeling really good about 2020. I think there's great things ahead. Yeah. And then 2020 was just like, <laughs> what's <Boom>. up, bro? <laughs> um, so, so this is a, I mean, I think globally, it's kind of the equivalent of, of the sort of the, the, the divorce analogy that I gave earlier. You know, mm. you take something as axiomatic in, in, your, in your story, which is like, oh, this isn't going to change. Like access to restaurants, mm-hmm. bars, service industry, healthcare, my friends, uh, you know, physical social interaction. I yep. would never have at any reason to ever consider changing oh, yeah. that part of my narrative. And then yeah. all of a sudden it's like, nope, you don't get any of those things anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's, I'm, I've been kind of coming around to the stay at home thing. Like I'm feeling pretty good right now, but it's taken me two months to, to like absorb the, the, the tearing of the narrative from the reality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I agree. I'm, I think I've been in so much like triage mode that I really haven't been able to like I, I don't I can't really think about that, you know? It's like Yeah. I think that's been it's it's just more of like, okay, how do I keep paying people? You know? Right. <laughs> how do I keep this business from like just falling well, in the ground? <laughs> that's what I keep I keep running into too, is that we all are having really different experiences in this. And it's easy to be at home and think that the way you're feeling is how other people are feeling. Yeah. But you and I, I mean, as close as we are and as much as we talk, we are having much different experiences. You are Mm -hmm. thinking about much different things than I am. Mm -hmm. And that's been great in terms of like our conversations because totally. there's a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about it, you know, in my company, when I'm on video calls with people all day long and we're all in the same kind of boat, you know, mm-hmm. we do the same things. We're, um, all staying at home fair, you know, still employed gainfully. And so we have one perspective mm-hmm. sort of mutually as a group. And because the whole group has that perspective, it's easy to sort of say, this is the perspective. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 You know? uh-huh. Um, but, people who are out of work on unemployment, homeschooling mm-hmm. their kids or running businesses that are either have failed or are failing mm-hmm. or could fail mm-hmm. as a whole different situation. Yeah. Now I think that's, I think the point you make was really good is like, you know, it's, it's like, I also know, I also know businesses are, are really thriving right now. Yeah. And it's not, it's not because of any malintent or, you know, that they're taking advantage of the situation. It's just that they happen to be in businesses where, you know, it's like they are in, in, in real need, you know, it's like, and these people I know that are in those positions are really good people, you know, and they're actually doing cool things to help other people right. with it, you know, right. but it's like, but they're, I mean, they're also, it's, 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 it's almost like some people might not think this is, they're also facing other problems as far as like, I've got all this stuff coming in. How do I, how do I, 
how do I deal with this? You know? Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a great problem to have, but <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but it's still like, they're still working through these things too, you know, as well yeah. as, um, well, it's like, we're all working through one thing, but everyone's got different parameters. Yeah. Which is, which makes the narrative, the, the group narrative even harder to deal with, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's not like that's any different of a concept. Like this is where, um, sort of intersectional politics came about. Like we've all got different parameters for how we deal with things and you can parameterize that as race or sex or class. Mm-hmm. But, but now all of that has shape shifted with coronavirus into something totally different. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exactly have much to do with those other sort of parameters that seemed really important. Although, Lots of people are making the point that all that's just exasperated right now because of Corona. But it seems to me like it se- it's more that we are all dealing with a different set of parameters yeah. than we're used to dealing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely that's definitely the case. Uh, I would say there's one aspect of this. It's like you definitely see like, uh, and this is probably more economically. Is like you, everyone has different uh, runways, <clears throat> you know. So you know. Uh, from lower to high, you know, it's like uh, economic um, uh, abilities is like, you know, people with lower economic abilities have a shorter runway, you know, and and are Mm going to feel this effect a lot quicker. Right. Where people with like maybe more income or higher abilities, uh, that runway is a little bit longer. But as this pushes in, it's start, it's starting to affect more and more and more people. It's just a matter of like the runway that we're on right now, right? And you see that in Austin uh, with our mm-hmm. sort of service and restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. Some of them were out of business day one. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them, like you, are still going. Yeah, others have been kind of like you know every couple days or week. I see another sort of beloved Austin establishment is like our runways out essentially, you know, we're Mm -hmm. we're closing our doors for good. Yeah. And they get added to the, the, the graveyard. Mm -hmm. Hmm. No, I mean, I mean, I was fortunate to have a line of credit that I could draw on, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to make that runway, you know, longer for me, which is, which is really fortunate, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I know I didn't have that ability, you know, five years ago, (laughs) you know? So it's like, it's, 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 I don't know. It's just, I've, I've just been talking to a lot of different business owners that kind of fit many of those different runways. And it's really, you can see the, uh, like the whole the whole section running because usually the people with the longer runways they also think in longer terms too mm-hmm. like they they're thinking in two to five and ten years and so they're seeing they're trying to look at the ramifications you know long term in all this you know yeah I mean even big companies like Potbelly are thinking about you know declaring bankruptcy you know it's mm-hmm. like it's I mean it's, it's well that's what's well. interesting is it's like the the the, the length of your runway doesn't really seem to be exactly tied to perceived size and success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like when you were saying earlier, like the, the length of your one way, as you were describing it, it seemed to be about, I, I don't know. No, no, wealth, no, what you're saying. But, yeah. Wealth. Yeah. I think, I think that is an aspect of it, but that's not necessarily. Right. Or, 
Yeah, it's not necessarily the, the case, ma- too. Right, no. there's many other things that affect that. Mm-hmm. So, like a, a company like Potbelly, for example, mm-hmm. they're everywhere. They're huge, yeah. obviously successful. You know, and I don't know their. I, I haven't looked at their their earnings. Like, I don't know yeah, how yeah. wealthy they are, but clearly mm-hmm. they had a smaller runway than you might expect. Like, I would have expected them to have a longer longer runway mm-hmm. than you. You know, than mm-hmm. an eight eight shop store mm-hmm. localized to Austin. But that yeah. probably helped you as well mm-hmm. in ways that it didn't help Potbelly because it's pretty easy to be like, well, just don't go to Potbelly anymore. You <laughs> yeah. know, uh, whereas there is an incentive for people to continue to patronize local establishments because of perceived risk, whereas mm-hmm. you, you don't perceive risk into larger companies. So you don't yeah. keep going. Because and there's not that relational component. Yeah, there's not that relational component too. It's right. like, you know, an Austin business, you're like sort of, Hey, that's my people. That's my know? people, right? <laughs> so there's that relation. I even see that. You know, it's it's. I think that's also a benefit that smaller companies have. You know, that have one shop or just one person is there is a n- nimbility, being nibble, nimble, nimble, <laughs> nimbility. <laughs> I don't know. This is awesome. We're gonna look that one up. <laughs> <laughs> a nimbility. Uh, you know, it's like where they can maybe hunker down for a period of time and not, you know, uh, and not have a lot of the cost and overhead that a larger company has too. So, right. Right. Um, did you look it up? Yeah. I heard your type type. <laughs> <laughs> it's cause I've got the old butterfly keyboard on my MacBook and it's, uh, it's loud. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Was it a word? Well, so Nimble is a word, clearly, but I, yeah. I can't tell if nimbility is or not. Um, you heard it here first. <laughs> I want to leave. I want to leave us on a note of hope. Oh yeah, yeah. I like hope. Do you have one? Give me some hope. <laughs> Give me some hope. I'm gonna cry tonight. <laughs> um. Jeez. Um. Like I don't want to cheese out, so it's like uh, I'm. I'm. I'm a fairly optimistic person in general. So mm-hmm. it's like, um, but I also, I like to, I like to understand the landscape and I don't mind. Like, I feel like part of the landscape, if you're, if you're going to be honest with yourself has some kind of really difficult things. If there's no difficult things on your landscape, then you're not really looking at, uh, your situation clearly. Not being honest also, about it. Not being honest about it. But at the same time, if you don't see some possibilities and you only see negative things on your landscape, then you're also not looking at your landscape very accurately. So, yeah. Um, so I think that's the thing is is being able to to behold both the the negative and the positive aspects that are on our landscape, and to kind of hold them lightly, you know, and not um, and not be too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, judgmental or um, maybe allow things to be a little bit more. Uh, I'm thinking of like holding things lightly in your hands, you know, not being so like holding on too right. tight. You know? Is it, I mean, does this apply to the narrative idea? Like, don't get it too attached to the positive or the negative things because mm-hmm. we're moving forward into reality and some of those are going to change and some of them are going to go yes. away and new ones mm-hmm. are going to be added, both positive and negative. Exactly. And also it's like, I think that's something I would be, that, that would be encouraging is sometimes we're going to have to try things that are a little bit scary. And I think, right. you know, to begin with, we tried 
sheltering in place, which is which was really scary. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? What are we doing? So I think that's been really cool to see, like how I mean, specifically in Austin, since that's where we live, like how people really came to that, you know, rose to that occasion, you mm-hmm. know. And at some point, we're going to have to show equally that ability to also push back into yeah. our our community and and come back to life a little bit. And what that looks like does it it does not matter. It's going to be hard and scary for, you know, and more yeah. or less for some than others, you know. So that's just a reality that we're going to face. Well, and I think when I, you know, posed the question originally of whether or not that might start with individuals rather than mandates yeah. and orders as you say that that does bring me some hope that mm-hmm. we will push back into that together with the same yeah. with the same courage and unification that we did shelter in place yeah and it's going to start slowly mm-hmm. but we'll do it together yeah yeah i think that's a i think that's definitely good well let's leave it there for the night sounds good Ah, man. Never lets me down. I know, man. I'm excited. I I just, it's just, it's just fun to explore these, these topics and to talk it out. And I know it's it's hard for some people. I know also it's really hard to talk about this stuff. Right. right. uh, Yeah. We didn't intend to have a Corona themed conversation, but it did, it did kind of seem needed. So I hope you guys have, uh, that it's, it is, been surprisingly needed for you just the same way that it seems had to have been for us and brought you some Mm -hmm. clarity and hope and other good things. Yeah. Well, I think that's the part of probing, you know, on the shores of ignorance, like that's what we do is we probe Mm -hmm. what we know and what we don't know. And that's, that's just really important for us to be willing and open to probe uh, into those different things. So, yeah. Agreed. All right. Agreed. Cheers. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Definitely. Big hugs. Bye. Bye.